Part six, what will heaven be like? Tonight we're gonna to answer some of the final questions that I've left for last they are a little bit more difficult. And here's what I propose we do. I'm gonna give you a short answer to most of the questions. If you want more information, we can stop and discuss it a little bit. If you want a lot of information, let's discuss it afterwards. Because some of these are truthfully just speculative. Based though, and I say it's Christian speculation based on scriptures, but there may be no direct text support for them. And that's why I've kind of left them last, okay? These are the questions we tackled last week. And the theme that we've developed throughout our whole discussion about heaven, now that we're talking about the eternal heaven is that life in eternal heaven here on the new earth is going to be a continuation of our life here, but without sin and without some other things. But it's not going to be just a start over. It's not going to be a do over. It's going to be a recreation, a remaking, a resurrection, which implies that there will be a continuity and that some of the old things will be remade into new things, but that they won't just be replaced. So last week we were looking at some of these questions like, will we maintain our identities? You know, will, will we wear clothes? And, and the answer to most of these questions, like you'll see tonight, is yes. Because it's kind of like the way we are now is going to continue in some way. God is not just going to scrap the whole thing and start over. He's not going to allow the devil the victory of having messed up, brought sin in the world and say, all right, now I have to start a whole new civilization, a whole new creation. Let's start over. The heavens and the earth are completely out. We start over and make new rules. Actually, if you think about it, if God is perfect and God is true in everything he says, the things he's told us now should be eternal. They shouldn't change just because we cross over into the next life. It's not like God's going to say, all right, the things I told you were only for earth. You might say that about a couple things, but God's truths are eternal, so they won't change. All right. Now, towards the end, we started tackling a couple of things about will we have free will? Will we be able to sin? Those have been, I think that's probably the number one question I've gotten from you guys so far. So, we tackled it last week. The basic answer we gave is, yes, you will probably still have free will, but you will not be able to sin. And of course, people immediately say, well, wait a minute, how can you have free will if you can't sin? And we talked about that and walked through how it is actually possible for us to be able to choose among any number of good things, just not be able to choose something that's sinful. So it's not like every choice is taken away from you. You have lots of choices, but they're all going to be from among good things. And the good news that we learned last week is that for the first time in our life, you can actually listen to the desires of your heart and do whatever they tell you to do and not worry about, am I doing something wrong? Because you'll know that you'll be incapable of sinning. That's going to lead you to something great. Now, I want to come back to one last week because this shows kind of the intellectual integrity model that we have adopted about always looking deeply into the text and making sure that even the things we read by theologians, and in this case it's the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn, are going to stand up. Last week we tackled the question of will we eat meat in heaven, which sounded kind of like a silly question. Like, are we going to eat meat in heaven? Like, who cares? But to people like me, this is the most important thing about heaven, you know? This is important. Will we eat meat in heaven? I mean, you cannot have Albertos without meat, and you can't have heaven without Albertos, okay? So, the resolution that Randy Alcorn came to in his book was the following. And I want you to pay attention to how the logic is structured because it's very important that we always analyze where a person's theology is coming from. The logic was that we know 
that animals die because sin was introduced into the world. Sin not only caused man to die, but it caused animals to die. So when you get to heaven and there is no more sin, there is no more death, and that also applies to the animal kingdom. Therefore, if animals can't die, we can't eat them. So that was the reason that Randy Alcorn concludes that there is no meat in heaven. Notice it has no scriptural basis. In fact, fairly, and I have to give him credit, he fairly cites in Isaiah the passage that says that we will be feasting on meat and good wine in heaven. But he disagrees that it really is prophesying heaven because he says, but that can't be because animals won't die. And remember, you guys also brought up the same question when it had to do with vegetation. Well, will there be seasons? Okay. And I went researching to see what other theologians had to say this week. And I have to come back and say, I think he may be wrong, or at least there's a possibility he's wrong. Because other theologians disagree, and they say that animals are more like vegetation than they are like human in the fact that they don't have a soul that needs to be saved. Sin caused man to die because sin entered into the world and caused death in humans Death is the consequence of sin for those who have souls like humans. Animals don't have souls. They're more like vegetation. But if you see that the whole basis of why somebody said there is no meat in heaven has nothing to do with what Jesus said about heaven, what Revelation says about heaven, what Daniel says about heaven, it had to do with someone's creation theory. And somebody who disagrees and says, no, animals died for millions of years, like i.e. the dinosaurs, before man was even created. So we know that animals can die regardless of whether sin is in the world and you might get to heaven therefore and find that we're eating meat, okay? Just throw that out there to keep you guys thinking. And I know that's kind of a technicality and you're looking at me like, why are we talking about this? But it's one of those things that you have to always analyze the logic in it. And even a book that I trust as much as this one, I just felt like I needed more support to go back and say, I'm not quite sure that this is 100% accurate. Let's move on to some other questions tonight. I'm going to try to move them quickly. You guys stop me if you have any questions. Go to the next slide. Okay, will we know everything? Will we know everything? The answer is no. No. When you go to heaven, we will have a lot of new things like a new body, but we will not be omniscient like the Lord. Okay, that's the basic answer to the question. Okay, we will not know everything. The next question up on the slide is can we learn everything? Now, again, I don't think we'll ever be omniscient. We'll never be equal to the Lord in terms of his knowledge. But, you know, there's a good bet that if you learn for eternity, you're going to learn a lot of things. So for those of you who just felt like, you know, you didn't get enough college or you're not done with it or you want more, just think about it this way. When your parents bug you about it, just tell them, in the next life, I'm going to be in college forever. I'm just kind of taking a break right now. All right, and this break is like 50, 60 years, but after that, I'll be doing like an extended PhD program that just lasts forever. All right, and that's, I think that's good, that we will be able to learn. But notice, some people doubt that we'll learn. Some people actually believe that we just won't care. We won't even want to learn. And I think that, again, is part of that Christoplatonic view that we looked about, that maybe learning is evil somehow. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think we're going to live life much like this and continue learning. Next question. Are there books in heaven? I think the answer is yes. Scripture tells us that the word of God will survive. We know at least that book. We also know the books of life and the books of all our works are somewhere up in heaven. Okay. Now, I don't know that anybody wants to read those books <laughs> and go like skimming all the things that people did while they were on earth. Maybe that's just 
probably not, not what you want to do. But it's possible that there are going to be other books up there. I think that's probably a good bet. And maybe, by the way, we're going to be writing some books. I think there's a good chance we're going to be writing books while we're there. Angela. That's the next question. The next question is, are there only going to be the books that, like God's side of the books, okay? And, and this is where I think that the speculation comes in. I think that there are probably going to be other books. I don't know the extent of them. I do know the principle is that those things that are not pleasing to God are not going to survive him redoing the earth and scorching it over, basically, or when, when he says that it will be laid bare. I think those things are not going to survive the things that aren't good. But, for example, a science book that really is just neutral about just observations about the universe might survive. You know, poetry books might survive. You know, maybe, maybe something that's just a story. Like, take, let, let's, I mean, we could step in degree. You always, like, if you step back in degree, you might, like, for example, take the C.S. Lewis books, like the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Total fiction, but at the same time have Christian principles. Like, if I went to heaven and, like, there was, like, this big leather-bound edition in everybody's house, right? Would that surprise you? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe God really liked those books and said those were honoring to me and they touched generations of people, okay? But, like, is Cosmo going to be in heaven? I don't know. Probably not, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't think that that's going to survive. Will back issues of it survive so we can look back and go like, that's what we were? I don't think we're going to care, and I don't know that that's going to actually be there. I think that that's just going to be part of the stuff that we look back and think, ugh, that was part of that life that, just, that we didn't even know how dirty and filthy we were back then. When those things even appealed to us or even made us like, wonder what was inside of them, you know, that might be part of it. Okay, But I do think that there will be some things to read, even if they're all created in the next life. It would be great, I think, to be able to study, and part of lifelong learning is to study books and read them. I don't think we're all just going to have lectures that are all going to be oral. So I actually think that, yes, there will be people who will teach and write, and there will be books, and I hope some of them will survive from this world. Okay, will we remember the earth? Yes, we will remember the earth. I some people think that when we go to heaven, our memories are just wiped clear. I don't think that's true. I think we're going to remember our lives. I think when you live in eternity, you're going to probably, they're going to get further and further in the distance. But you will remember. They will shape you. And there are other scriptural supports. I'll pull some out of here for you guys later. But yes, I definitely believe that we will not have our memories wiped away. And this becomes important when you ask questions about will we remember our friends. But let's look at this next question right here. Will we recognize each other? Okay, that kind of goes right with it. I mean, if your memory is wiped out of your past life, how would you recognize the people in this room and you saw them up there? And I think it's very biblical to think that, yes, we are going to rejoice when we see the people up here. There's a couple concepts about heaven that seem to float around every time we talk about them. One of them that everybody is worshiping God constantly, that we do nothing but spend time with him in prayer, and there's nothing else to do because there would be sinful to do anything else, that our memories are kind of like wiped clear. We don't even remember the earth at all. And everybody's equal. And the, the thing is, all those things that I just mentioned are myths. That's, they're not really true. In fact, there's biblical support just the opposite. So tackling the issue of will we recognize one another, I think the answer is yes, because we will remember our lives. You'll look at somebody and say, hey, that's Angela. She made it. Like, high five, you know? And, and you'll be excited, okay? You'll be, you'll be thrilled to see that, like, you're right here. And, and this is a discipline that I adopted many years ago in my prayers, 
is to always thank God in groups that we meet in that we got to know each other early because we're going to be spending forever together in heaven. And it's just kind of a great concept to think we're going to spend together forever in heaven. All right. Will we work and will we sleep? How many people think we're going to work and sleep? Okay, that's pretty obvious. I think we are going to work. We are going to sleep. S work and sleep. Okay? Yes. Nothing to indicate anything to the contrary. Okay? In fact, biblical verses talk about it, especially the book of Isaiah, I believe, about what we're going to be doing. And we know the Lord is a Lord of those two things, by the way. The Lord likes to work and he likes to rest. Okay? Those are things that are in his nature. No reason to think that there can be any different in our nature. Okay? Will we have our own homes? Yes. How many people say yes? What's the verse that everybody cites when they say like, yeah, what is the verse? Somebody say it out loud. Like it's somewhere in blah, blah, blah. The verse, the verse actually says, for in my father's house, there are many. It's a condo complex. There you go. So for those of you who think you're going to have your own house with detached walls, no, you're going to be living in a big, big house with many, many rooms, okay? It's like the old, it's like, it's like a kibbutz, all right? Or the old communist kind of like, you know, like the whole idea of getting together and living in these like shared apartments. It's going to be like probably 10 million rooms and one bathroom, okay? And that's, <laughs> okay. Angela's pointing out the mansions. Actually, there are that verse too, and most theologians agree, no, no, most theologians agree that people will probably live in separate homes of some kind, okay? And this brings up a, a question which is kind of going to come up in a second, but if it's not, I'm going to bring it up right now. On the screen it says, well, we invite over guests and stuff like that, and I think that's very biblical. In fact, there's verses that talk about that. It talks about it doing it on earth, by the way, that we should be doing that here. Casey. Yes. Yeah, you'll get to know more people? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, will you, let me, let me make it clear. Will you know them immediately? No. I don't think there's anything in, there's nothing in any of the verses that says like, as soon as you get to heaven, you will like suddenly change into some godly powers like, like omniscience, like all-knowingness. So you aren't just going to look at everybody and go like, you just know everybody's name, but you have eternity to get to know everybody that's in heaven. You know, and maybe you'll sit down with somebody at one of those big lamb feasts, you know, and you're sitting there and you get to know them and you get to know somebody else and you get to know somebody else. And over time, maybe you get to know everybody in heaven. Maybe they'll have like a heaven yearbook, you know, <laughs> like everybody's face in there, you know, like a little picture, like get to look them up. You know, yeah, it's like the directory. But here's a question for you guys. Will there be private ownership in heaven? Private ownership in heaven. Hannah says no. Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, I, God told me when preparing for this talk, make sure you look at what Israel's doing because that's what's going on in heaven. You know, that's the, the standard by which all nations are judged. <laughs> Eric? Okay, so you're saying we're going to rule over people, so that means we should have some ownership. Well, I mean, I think you can rule over people even if you have nothing. You know what I mean? Jesus did. He didn't have a, he didn't have a place to lay his head, he said, but he still commanded his disciples and other people. Right, I guess that's, that really is the question. Will we have things... Private ownership doesn't just mean land. It means, like, will you own things in heaven? Will they be yours? Yeah. Okay, Hannah? But if you look at the biblical example, you have those communities coming together, sharing everything and working with one another. Like in the Acts Church, you mean? Yeah. Kind of like the communal thing? Okay. I think that it's going to be a combination, but I do believe that there will be ownership in heaven for this very reason. 
When Jesus says to us, you need to store your treasure in heaven, that whole sentiment would make no sense if everybody shared everything equally in heaven. Okay? We've already tackled over the last few weeks the concept that people in heaven will not be equal. We will be equally valued. We will be equally loved. But we will not be on a par because we know that people have different levels of rewards. We also know, as Eric just pointed out, that people will rule over other people. I don't believe there's any indication that the rewards we receive in heaven, we hand them over to Jesus as soon as we get there and then we're done with them. I actually believe that those will be your rewards in heaven. Because otherwise the concept of like having rewards and having rulerships and all those kind of things doesn't make any sense if you have to give them back five minutes after you get there or if you don't get them at all or if they're not yours. So just think about it from this perspective. I think Jesus is telling us when he says, store your treasure in the next life, be wise. He's trying to tell us like, hey, don't put it into this life because it's, you're not going to be able to take it with you or it's going to burn or whatever it is. Put it in the next life where it really counts. When we talked three weeks ago or four weeks ago about the judgment of works, what we talked about basically, to put it in, into a one-minute explanation is, for believers, the judgment of works is not about salvation. You've already attained your salvation, but it's the point when you make account to your life to Jesus and say, this is what I did, Master, with what you gave me. Very much akin to the, the parable of the talents. And then he says, I reward the one who did the most with them. I mean, that's the guy who gets all of the rewards in that story. And that's very much what's going to happen at the judgment of works. Same thing when Paul says that you will be tested as through fire, the works like, they'll be like straw, wood, and... That, that whole thing, or gold, silver, and jewels. You know, your works will be tested. You'll still be saved, but your works will be tested. And at that moment, when you make account to Christ, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's what I give to you. Now enter into the joy of my master. You know, and that's where you get it. Now, is it possible that you don't hand and actually hand it to you? And you just walk home and you get like a number to go look for your house and you're like, this? <laughs> what? I did better than this, you know? And then you're like living next to like somebody else who's just like, you know, driving up in the Bentley and they've just got this thing that just goes on forever, you know? And you're just like, you know, but of course there's no envy in heaven. So you just kind of look at them and smile and go, hi neighbor, <laughs> uh, right? God is a good God, how you doing, you know? And that's why I put on the, on the screen one of the questions, can you visit people's houses I'm banking on this one because if I live in the little house and somebody's got the big house, I'm just going to go visit with them all the time. Like, you know, kind of move in and go, don't you need like your own lawyer, like hanging out with you full time? You know? All right. Will we hang out with anybody other than Christ? I'll put that up there just because it's a question to think about. Like if you really could have the choice to hang out with Christ, would you hang out with anybody else? But I want to turn that question on its head because some people think that in heaven you won't do anything but hang out with Christ as if the only holy act you could do is spend time in Christ's presence. And I think that's a very lofty, holy thing to do. But it, it puts a presumption on Christ and on God that I don't think exists, which is that God wants us to do nothing but just stare at him in adoration all day. I mean, God probably will like it when he sees us hanging out together and enjoying good company and doing other things. He's created this whole world for us, you know? I mean, he wants us. I mean, remember, if even if you go back to the Garden of Eden, which I said is not a direct parallel, but you can draw some things from it. You know, remember, Adam and Eve were allowed to walk around the garden. They didn't just sit in God's presence all day, just stare at him. I mean, he would go and he let them do what they wanted to do in the garden. And he gave them dominion and said, do what you want in the garden. This is all yours. And I think that's kind of the way heaven's going to be for us. 
Like, go out there, take a hike, explore, read one of those books that somebody's writing. Like, take a class, learn something, do whatever you desire, because now all the desires of your heart are beautiful and they're not sinful. Do whatever you want to do. Eric, you know something? The one question, if I could put a question forward that I have not been able to resolve yet, and maybe I need to read deeper into this, is how is the Trinity manifested in heaven? Okay. Because they have the three personages, and we know that Jesus is in a resurrected body seated at the right hand of God. Does that mean there's three of them? Or does that mean that they're going to be one and the same? And I, I should look into that before I say anything about it. From what I've read, I get the sense that you will, able, you will be able to see Jesus in his bodily resurrected form dwelling in heaven as the bridegroom that we're all going to be married to in some respect. And that God is, is, is also omnipresent as the light of the whole city, right? I mean, that thing. So how you fuse those together, you know, are, are they one and the same? All right, let's talk about the ones you guys have been asking about forever. Will there be marriages and family? Will we have sex? Jesus directly said, there will not be marriage in heaven. All right, so right from the start, Jesus said, there will not be marriage in heaven. For me, this has been kind of one of those that's kind of like having been recently married, this has been one of those things that I've been like pondering over. And it takes on a new kind of characteristic when you're with your wife and you look and you think, so in heaven, would we live in different houses? Or like in different countries maybe? Like would we be together? I mean, we know that we're going to know each other. Okay, that we've already established based on the questions we've answered. But the other part of it is, Will we know each other more deeply than other people? And I think the answer is absolutely. Because we knew each other on earth more deeply. We spent more time together. And I think it's probably very accurate to think that when you get to heaven, the person you know best would probably be your spouse out of all of the people that you know. Because we're not going to lose our memory. We're not going to be wiped clean. It's like, hey, that's the person I know the best. That's my best friend. That's the person I know the most. But that doesn't mean we're going to be married, okay? And I don't know if it means that we're going to live together or live in the same house or even live near each other. But if my desire is okay in heaven, it's not a sinful desire, like I can't sin in heaven. And my desire when I get to heaven is, well, I want to spend more time with Lena than with other people just because she's the person I know the best and I'm so happy that we're there together. I think that's probably going to happen. Now, the text doesn't say that. The text just says there's no marriage. But I don't think it means that, hey, there's no marriage, you'll forget your wife, or there's no marriage, like you won't even remember them, or you can't hang out with them, or you can't treat them special. I don't think that's true at all. I think even best friends that see each other in heaven will have a closer bond than other people. By the way, you may meet a best friend in heaven that you don't even know on earth that'll be closer than all the other people. For those of you who are kind of looking at your friends thinking, man, got to be better than this, you know, you might get to heaven and meet somebody who's truly your best friend forever. You know, and you just like think, man, it's so much better than the people I knew back there, okay? Why not? Because we're married, because we're married to Jesus first and foremost. That's really the reason. I mean, he's saying, there is no marriage in heaven. You'll be married to me. I will be first and foremost. The next question is, will we have sex in heaven? Randy's answer, no. However... And this is all outside of Scripture, I think, at this point, because, again, the reasoning goes like this. If there's no marriage and sexual union is designed to be to create intimacy in marriage and there is no marriage, then sexual intimacy is not needed 
couple of things might happen. One is, of course, we're married to Jesus, okay? That's our primary intimacy that will be there. We will become intimate maybe with other people in different ways. C.S. Lewis wrote that if you had a child ask you about sexual union and you told him that it's the most pleasurable thing in the world and he said to you, now picture like a five-year-old child, okay? And he said, so do you eat chocolate? All right, now this is really, this is C.S. Lewis's words. And you would look at the child, of course, and say, like, there's no time for chocolate. It's that good, all right? C.S. Lewis said that our level of intimacy and learning to be intimate with other people in heaven will be the same way, that we will learn ways to be intimate with people that you would almost look at the person and say, we don't have time for sex in the ways that we now know how to become intimate. All right, that gives me a little bit of hope, but not much. I mean, frankly, that doesn't sound great. It sounds like somebody who's stuck with, boy, that doesn't sound like really much fun. Let's think of a way to make this sound theological. You know what I mean? But that's at least the answers that I've looked at, and I've tried to find other answers. Nobody yet has been daring enough to come forward and say, well, except for somebody in our group, but nobody that's got theological credentials has come forward and said, yes, we will have sex in heaven for the following reason. If it's there, it's going to be a total bonus, all right? And Randy Alcorn at least leaves the possibility open that God has some other plan for us that we can't even imagine of intimacy with one another or intimacy just in general or even intimacy just, you know, with him that we can't yet imagine here on earth because we're living under the curse, okay? Christ models his intimacy with us by using a specific example, the way that a man and a woman become one in their bodily union, he, I mean, he chooses that example on purpose and says, you will be my bride. You know what I mean? So he tells us that he not only desires that intimacy, but it's going to happen. He just doesn't tell us how. Okay, Maybe it's just because he's God and we're going to be right there in front of him. Maybe it's because he's redeemed us and saved us and, and when we realize the full extent of how bad we were and how much we're saved, like we just give him everything. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that, of course, that example is used on purpose. And we even, in our marriage ceremonies, use that example that, you know, that that's going to be the way that we're going to be, you know, and that the husband should emulate and love his wife the way Christ loves the church and all those kind of things. I mean, those are very intricate. So they're not sacrilegious, but when you take it to the next level, you start thinking about how it's going to be done, I, I don't know. I think we have talked about will we pursue and develop relationships, but I want to talk about what Casey brought up or what Dave's also brought up. Will we date? Okay, if we can't have marriage, can we just have like a big swinging singles party? Now that everybody's single, all right? I don't think there's any indications about dating, but I do believe that we will begin to know people, certain people more than other people, and we begin to know them more intimately. You may be able to even select those people. To the degree that you call that dating, maybe that's dating. You know what I mean? I know that if that happens, I don't know, I, I can't put that into my mind. Like, I'm thinking I go to heaven, all right, and I see somebody that I want to hang out with more than my wife, and that my wife can't be jealous, you know what I mean, can't get mad at me, can't be angry, can't hit me, like, all those things are gone. Like, I'm thinking, like, that's heaven, right? I mean, that's just like, that right there just seems like it always rings true, you know? So, and, and there's, like, no consequence. And at the same time, like, there's no guilt when I'm with her, you know? And Jesus is going, like, right on, you know? So, 
So when I put that together in my mind, I think like without any scriptural support, that seems to work. All right. Maybe we're discovering the undiscovered country here tonight. You know, the Holy Spirit reveals. I hope he's not like going to strike me down at the end of this talk. All right. All right. Serious question. Will we disagree in heaven? This is a question that's posed because if we don't have sin and anger and strife and discord and all the sins that we could name, then is it even possible that we could disagree? And I think the answer is, yeah, you can debate and you can do it in a loving way. You could even have different people, by the way, with different knowledge. One of the examples that was po posed is what if a bunch of like different big church leaders got together in heaven and debated something? And then at the end of the debate said, you know what? We've all stated our views. Let's go ask Jesus and see what he thinks. And it's totally possible. You know, you might have a classroom discussion in one of your classes on heaven where you're disagreeing about something. And then somebody who actually knows more than you will correct you and tell you what the right thing is. Could even be Paul, by the way, who could come forward and say, hey, by the way, that's, that's not right. And I could be telling Paul, by the way, that thing you said about marriage, that wasn't right, you know? And you could like have this dialogue, you know? Just go like, you know that thing where you kept saying that Jesus is coming back like really, really soon? I was 2,000 years after you, buddy, and you were not right. You were not right. I, <laughs> all right? So there's all sorts of things. <laughs> but the reason I bring up that question is it reminds us again that it doesn't mean that all of us will be equal. We will have different levels of knowledge and we can disagree Someone can still be right. It's not a sin to be wrong. So it's not like we're going to be mindless, like just sitting there going, I can't sin, so therefore I could never be wrong. It's like, no, you could totally be wrong. You know, you could just not know as much as the person next to you. They may have learned more in their life here on earth, by the way. You know, and then, of course, they'll have a head start on you as they start to learn in heaven. Or maybe they check out and they don't want to learn and you're the one going to all the classes. Okay, the things you never learned on earth you know that kind of class all right let's look at a few more questions eric asked will we have ethnic and national identities there are verses in the bible that talk about how the lord will gather the nations there's nothing in those verses that implies he's going to transform them into one person or one kind of race okay now the other thing about it not only that is think about it from this perspective if there's no reproduction in heaven, and you're all living forever. That means there's not going to be any, like, mixing, you know? So you're not going to have, like, you know, what people say is you just mix the whole world long enough, they'd all be the same race eventually, right? You know, they would just be all mixed up. Well, we don't have that option in heaven because you're not going to be reproducing. So basically, whatever races we have in the world, and, and God tells us that he loves every nation, every tongue, and when we get to heaven, that's who you are. You know, and you don't lose that identity when your resurrected body, you know, and say, you know what, I'm going to choose something else. You know, and this doesn't work out so good. Closely related to national identities and ethnic origins and all that is what languages will we speak? Um, yes, Hana contributes Hebrew. Yes, that. I think I think God wants all His people to walk around spitting on each other like. That's how you intimately get to know one another. It's like, thanks. What's your name, by the way? You know? Here's what I think we can theorize about language. Number one, God originally had one language for all the peoples. If you remember, it wasn't up until the Tower of Babel that he split them. Why did he split them? Because of man's arrogance and pride and thinking that somehow they were going to reach the skies. 
When we're in heaven and there is no pride, there is no, it seems efficient from God's perspective that we all probably speak one language. It could be that you could still speak your old language and you'll have a new language or maybe everybody speaks English or, or Hebrew or, 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 or Greek or, or Aramaic or who knows what the language is that's going to be spoken, okay? You might be able to remember yours. I mean, if you think about it, if you're allowed to learn anything you want in heaven, you could go back and learn Latin when you're in heaven if you really want to. I don't think there's anything inherently bad about language, you know? Yeah. Good. It may very well be that. That's the other possibility, is that all the, when we speak, people will just understand one another. Yes, in Acts, the disciples were able to speak to everybody, okay? And all of the people from different languages understood. So it could be that, or it could be that we all have one language. I don't know. You know, you get to heaven and they hand you a manual, like, here's the heavenly language. Learn this, okay? You know? All right, Will, next question. Will there be animals in heaven? Yeah. yeah. There's plenty of verses that talk about the lamb and the, they'll lay down with the lion and all that. There'll be animals. The real questions are, will our pets be in heaven? Okay? And, you know, when I first approached this, if you'd asked me my bias, I'd be like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. But you know what? The reading more about the text and reading more about what Randy has to say and reading some of the verses he cites, it seems that it's possible in our going back to our concept about how God recreates and remakes and keeps some of the things that like are good and pleasing. There may be some pets in our lives that are good and pleasing and had a good purpose and we might see them again in heaven. He might just for the very purpose of knowing that you are pleased with that one animal he may say, you know what? I mean, what did the animal do? The animal just lived and died. I mean, it didn't sin. He might just say, you know what? I totally think it would be great and it would please me to see you running through the fields with this animal again because you loved your dog so much. You loved whatever it was, you know? So God, God being, God is a giver. God is a giver, not a taker. You know what I mean? And God gives us even the pleasure of pets on earth, I think. God even told Adam and Eve, you have dominion over the animals. You name them. You, I mean, he was implying like you have a relationship with them. They're for you. They're for your enjoyment. Now later you're going to eat them. But for right now, just hang out with them. You know what I mean? And play with them. Get to know them. And you know what? That might be very much the way he feels about animals in general. Like I put these on earth for you. And I'm going to put them in the new heaven for you. And by the way, I saved a few of them from the last earth that I think would please you because I'm a giver. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, they probably didn't know they were going to eat them because at that point they were vegetarians. But just kind of one of the ironies, you know. All right. So that's the thing about pets. Will we be able to talk to the animals? There's a couple places in the Bible where animals seem to talk. I don't know if they don't have that ability. You know, the donkey of Balaam, is it right? What is it? Okay. And also the serpent, the serpent, even though the devil was in the serpent, the serpent still spoke, right? Remember the serpent spoke. So there's a couple examples of animals talking I don't know if that's just one of those things where God made a voice appear or he was actually using the, the animal to speak. But here's another question. Will extinct animals be there? Like, will you be able to hang out with the T-Rex in heaven? And you know what? It, first of all, it depends on your theology. Half of you guys probably don't even think the T-Rex existed. That just God put him in the ground to fool us, okay? But, you know, we'll deal with you guys later, okay? All right. For, all right. For those of you who are in that theology camp, you know, the, we're going to put you on the little bus of theology, okay? But for those of us who do believe that the dinosaurs did exist for some reason and God created them and then let them expire, maybe just so that we would have petroleum in our cars. I don't know. Maybe that might be the reason. But whatever reason God was creating all these crazy animals that don't exist today, 
um, they might be there. Why not? I mean, you'd be hanging out and there's like this is brontosaurus like walking around, you know, it'd be like Jurassic Park, you know. Will our life's work continue in heaven? Yes. You'll probably remember your skill set on earth. You might not be that in heaven, but, but you will still remember what you know. You may still work in heaven and maybe it'll be whatever you do on earth. Now, some people, you guys are still looking for what you're going to do, but some people find their true calling in life and think this is really what it is. And they're really good at it and they're really skilled at it. I mean, I think of like, let's take an example, take Mozart making music, okay? I mean, yeah, he could be a mechanic in heaven, but it would seem to me that maybe his skills were God-given and God would say, I still want you to make more music. Now, that's assuming he made it in, but I mean, whatever the thing is, okay? Some of the greatest, yeah, maybe Beethoven's a better example here. Pastors would be like looking for a job. You know, they'd be, I'm not really sure what their skill set is, first of all, in heaven. I don't know. Pastors are a different, they're in a category all by themselves in heaven. You know what I mean? God's going to be like, God's going to be like having a special class for the pastors going, now, why did you have so many churches? I don't understand. Is it just so that all of you could have jobs? Like, I don't get it. Like, what's going on with you guys? Will we express our creativity? Yes. It's yes. good. Will culture advance in heaven? Yes. Yes. I think you guys are getting the picture of what heaven's like. Will we sing? Yes. Dance? Yes. Write? Yes. Paint? Yes. Tell stories? Yes. Can you tell a story? What aren't you making up like is is a story a lie if you're telling a fictional story that didn't happen? Bible We can tell Bible stories for sure. We could tell truthful stories, but what about if you start telling a story about that salacious affair that you had when you were back on earth? Could you do that in heaven? Would would that just be like erased from your memory or would you just not want us? Would you just choose not to tell it? Or would the other guy be so, he can't sin, so you might as well tell it to him. What are you, you, can't, you can't lead him to sin. This gets closer to what Alicia wanted to know. That's why I'm going through it. Uh, will we put on dramas, watch movies, play video games? I think yes. The answer is yes. Will we laugh? You know, Jesus told us directly that we're going to laugh. Even in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who mourn because they're going to laugh. You know, they're going to laugh, you know. And he's even, he even said, and it's, it's, it's the version in Luke, okay? So you go ahead and look in Luke. I think it's 621, but he basically said that you will laugh. They will laugh. And he, when did he mean that? He meant it in the next world, okay? Will we tell jokes? You know, this really convicted me. This really convicted me when I was reading this because he said, of course, we'll tell jokes and Jesus loves to laugh and he's probably got a good sense of humor. But the one type of joke we will not hear in heaven is the kind that's very popular here on earth. And it's the kind of stand-up comedy where it makes fun of someone or something. And I'm like, that's my whole humor. <laughs> like everything I know about humor is that like, if you look at our American sense of humor, what we find the funniest, okay, we have some corny sitcom humor like where there's like, you know, but it's always, it's either sarcastic or making fun of somebody else or making fun of something. And, and it, it's, and some of us might think, okay, maybe that's not bad humor, but I don't know. Maybe if you put somebody down, if that's the way that you have humor, then maybe those kind of jokes won't be there. You know, all, of, <laughs> I will no longer be funny and I'll be mute. I mean, nothing I can, <laughs> I'll be just totally quiet and mute because it will just be all gone. Will there be sports? Yes. Will there be competition? I think the answer is yes. You can have competition without sinning. As long as you don't play against Dave Seow, it's very possible that you can have competition and not lead to sin where there's no anger, there's no outbursts, there's no unhealthy need to win, okay? 
But, you know, I look at it every day when teams go out. I love this. You know, two Christian teams play each other. They both get down on their hands and knees in a locker room and go, Lord, give us the victory. And they go play each other. You know one of them's going to win and one of them's going to lose. I mean, did God not show up for one team? What's going on? I think God's just probably sitting back going, I don't really care who wins or loses. You guys just play your best. You know, and that's what's going to be like in heaven. He's going to be like, hey, let's just have a, see what goes on in this football game. Let's just see what happens. I think Jesus will play with you, probably. You know? I think, I think, why not, you know? I mean, <laughs> well, who's, yeah, but I didn't say we weren't going to win. I mean, you can win without sinning, just like you can lose without sinning, you know? I mean, I think there will be winners and losers in games in heaven. I mean, if you played chess with somebody in heaven, would you think that was going to always end up being like a stalemate? You know, like somebody might win, but that doesn't mean that it's sinful for the person who lost. It's not sinful for the person who won. It's just there's a guy in heaven who's smarter at playing chess than the other guy. Same thing with a football game. You put it together, one team's stronger than the other, and that's just the way it is, you know. I guess I'm just trying to show you that our notions of heaven should be very closely tied with no sin, but that doesn't take away all the fun. You know, we're going to finally get to have the greatest time of our lives, but not sin. Will there be trade or business? Yes. Will there be technology? I actually think there will be. I don't think that God is going to erase what we've already learned in the world. Now, I don't know if we'll have an internet the way we have it. It might be a little different, okay? might be missing a lot of pages, okay? But, but I do know that I don't think that we're going to suddenly wake up in the garden naked again. And I, I've made that statement before. I think that God is going to honor us. I mean, the fact that he comes down in his vision of the new Jerusalem as a city with gates and streets and all those kind of things... And Holmes tells us right away that the new heaven is not like, hey, back in the garden, guys, let's start over. He's actually taking something that's very near to John's time when he's writing the book of Revelation. There's no reason to think about that. It's not going to be very much the way we look at it today. Okay? That, that culture is not going to disappear. Science is not going to disappear. Technology is going to not disappear. But it will be remade and refined. These are sheer speculation. Yeah, but like maybe Paul's got to learn to type. You know what I mean? Or, or learn to be on the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I don't know what you do in the intermediate state while you're watching what's going on on earth. Like if, you're, if he's taking a computer class right now waiting, you know. But, but look at this. Look at these questions that are sheer speculation. If it's true that we're going to continue forward from the time that we all go into heaven, will we ever get to explore space? I mean, if we can't do it in this life, can we do it? In eternity. God created the heavens and the universe. Now, I think there's reasons he created them, just so that life could be sustained on earth. But we, could, we might still be able to explore them since we don't die and we have forever to get there. You know, we might be able to build ships that are fast enough. We might not even need ships. You know, we don't know what waits for us, but maybe we'll be able to explore space. Like, we may find that on other worlds there's like angels. Maybe, who knows what's out there? I don't know. This is sheer speculation, by the way. No text, all right? All right, this is just sheer speculation. But but God says that his kingdom, meaning Jesus, will have no end. And they, well, his, in the increase of his government will be without end. Like the increase of his rulership will have no end. Almost implying like there will be more and more rulership to be over. Like, well, we're not reproducing. How's that possible? Just something to think about. Like as part of, like I said, the absolute sheer speculation end here. You know, some people have asked about like, will we have the ability to fly, swim underwater for five hours because we can't die? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to find, you know. But the great things about it, when you think about it, is we're going to advance from that point forward, okay? And I think that that'll happen. That's, that's just like stuff for me to just think, well, okay, that's interesting to think about. I think what, what the real point is, all the questions we've answered are meant to bring you back to one point. 
And that is that our life will be a continuation, but just much better, a, re a recreation, a resurrection. And not, hey, you know what? We're scrapping it and starting over. Because remember, that's the defeat that the devil was trying to deal in screwing up the world. And God will not give him the satisfaction of making him start over. He will not give the devil that satisfaction of having screwed it up. Okay. So that's kind of it. Let's go to the last slide. This is the most important part, I think, that we're going to kind of just ponder. And I'm going to leave them tonight as we start to think about worship. You know, we've talked about almost every part about the questions. And there are others. You know, you guys asked about money, and I'll look that up and talk to you about it. The real things to think about, though, and I got all these kind of like what I would consider the more immediate questions that people have. You know, what age will we be? You know, will we have marriage? Will we know each other? You know, will our pets be there? Things that people really want to know so they can anticipate and envision heaven. But put all that aside for a minute and think about this. What will it really mean to see God? What will it mean to dwell in God's presence, to have access to the city of Jerusalem at any point that you want, to be able to go before God and spend time with him, to be able to sit down with Jesus and ask questions? Okay. Or even the saints or the disciples or anybody, even the angels. What will it mean to spend time, but especially in God's presence? You know, we are so distant sometimes, but imagine the access you have and what that will mean. While we've spent so much of the six weeks talking about how we aren't going to be worshiping all day, we're not going to be praying all day, wouldn't part of us want to just worship and pray and be in front of God all day just by seeing him? What will it mean for God to dwell among us? You know, not just for us to have access to him, but what will it be like to be out on the field playing and all of a sudden see Jesus walk out and just kind of say like, hey, what are you guys all doing? You know? I mean, what will that be like for us? Or even being in God's presence, him dwelling and walking the way he used to walk in the Garden of Eden sometimes, just to walk among his people and see what they were doing. You know, what's that going to be like for us in heaven? And how will we worship God? You know, we can imagine the songs. We can imagine the prayers. We can imagine just bowing down, you know. What would it be like to actually just spend that time worshiping God? You know, maybe even in silence or just listening to him, you know. Listening to a story told to you about how it all began by God. Getting to ask your question directly like, what was it like <laughs> just hanging out at the beginning of time, you know, when you had to create it? You were there all by yourself, you know. How long did it take for you to decide to make us, you know? Just think of anything you wanted to do, that kind of stuff. You would have access to the holiness of God. We have images in Revelation that say that he's so holy that the angels can't even look at him. They have to shield their eyes, shield their bodies, and then they're allowed to use the two last remaining wings of the six to fly and just shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I hope that in talking about all the things that we've talked about, you know, the, the, like I said, the, the questions that are of more immediate concern, that I haven't reduced the experience of entering into the presence of God. It's just that I think we spend so much time imagining heaven as boring and internal worship and prayer that I erred on the side of trying to debunk that for so long that I hope I haven't moved us off the thing of, but don't forget we are talking about entering into the realm of the eternal king and the God who is so holy that we couldn't even enter his presence if we had not been washed clean, who the angels can't even look at, who created everything and who is so pure and he's so much light that no sun is needed in the whole earth because he will be the light for us. I mean, this, this is not something to take lightly. And I guess I just offer it to kind of close it 
come back full circle that, yeah, we did try to get off the subject of thinking about eternal worship, but now I actually want to come back to it for a moment and think that all the questions aside about will we play video games or watch movies or drive cars or have houses or jobs or marriage or all those things are, yeah, they, they deeply touch us because we want to know what our life is going to be like. And I hope I've assured you that God has an amazing life in store for you. It's better than anything we've imagined so far, but thank God it's not just one eternal worship service, but at the same time, we should not minimize that part, okay? So let's pray tonight and do a little bit of worship and then hang out. We can talk about anything you guys want to dwell on a little bit further. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time that you've given us in studying this topic. I thank you for the scholarship that was put into this topic by Randy Alcorn. Lord, it's been, it's been a comprehensive work that he's put together, and I think that it's worthy for us to stop and say thank you for gifting someone with vision and foresight enough to assemble these things and to allow us to study these topics, Lord. But most importantly, Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who reveals these things to us, and I thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die for us, to make all this available. Lord, you've assured us of this beautiful life, and I hope that in studying it, we have gained at least knowledge of what it's going to be like, but most importantly, an excitement to want to be there, a reason not to live for this world anymore. So often, Lord, we live in this world because we don't trust that the next one is any good. We just don't believe it. And Lord, I hope that if nothing else, by pulling back the curtain and showing us what this next world is going to be like, that we will yearn for heaven, that we will want to be with you, that we will forsake the things that entice us in this world, that we will store up our treasure in heaven, that we will work diligently and tirelessly to help other people reach heaven, Lord, that we will make it our life's work to help other people see the sacrifice of your son and accept the wonderful thing he's done. So thank you, Lord, for all the people in this room who've accepted you, who are ready to go. You know our time, we don't, but I know for sure that we'll all be there together, and I thank you for that. Thank you for that sacrifice that your son made. And Lord, may we focus for a few moments tonight on what it's going to be like just to dwell in your presence. You've done so many wonderful things in creating this heaven for us, and I thank you, Lord, for that. And I thank you for giving us a glimpse of it. But Lord, tonight, can we just dwell on worshiping you and being with you tonight? And, and, and even though you've done so much for us, let our joy be in you and our joy be in the presence of you that we're getting to experience in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that you're such a giving God, that you give us way more than we deserve, way more than we can imagine. And I know that when we get to heaven, everything we talked about in these six weeks is just going to seem even insignificant. It's going to be even that much better. Pray all this in your precious name. Amen.